Welcome to We Are Meaningful, a podcast where we transform the anonymous experiences of black and brown talent into powerful audio narratives. Each month, we center the dialogue around a common theme, providing you, our listeners, with the tools and resources you need to help navigate, grow, and thrive in corporate spaces. Our stories, experiences, and our voices are meaningful. We are meaningful. Hi, everyone. This is Crystal. And this is Krista. And today we're joined by Kimberly Jones. Kimberly is the principal and CEO of Kelton Legend, a consulting organization that provides talent acquisition guidance to both organizations and job seekers. Kelton Legend is the only minority female-owned service provider listed among the ISIM's Register Partner Program, a leading ATS provider. Her expertise includes TA strategy and process development, diversity strategies, HR technology management and configuration, as well as career coaching. Kimberly gained her experience as a TA leader at NASA Jet Propulsion Laboratory, Northrop Grumman, GE Aviation, Raytheon, and Nationwide Insurance staffing positions on all seven continents. Wow. Her most noteworthy accomplishment has been leading the recruiting team for Raytheon Polar Services and completing a six-week deployment to Antarctica, including three days at the South Pole. Kim has further leveraged her knowledge of the TA space by serving as an instructor at the University of California, Irvine, and is a proud graduate of Wilberforce University. Welcome to the show, Kimberly. Thank you. Happy to be here today. So you had the opportunity to hear the narrative. And for those who are just tuning in for the first time, you can hear the narrative in the debrief episode of this month where Krista and I discuss our thoughts and reactions to this month's narrative, Navigating the Nonsense. So Kimberly, you had the opportunity to hear the narrative What were your initial thoughts and reactions when you heard it? Yeah, so for me, it was a a heavy sigh initially um, because the uh, emotion was very uh, familiar to me, having worked in environments that were predominantly white male and highly technical, working with a lot of people who are um, very smart, who um, in some instances aren't always receptive. And working in those environments, um, even though I was brought in to affect change, better strategy, better process, certainly uh, better diversity, um, there was a lot of resistance um, that I was met with. And that resistance was, in some instances, very overt, um, you know, very intentional. But then also things that were just going on behind the scenes that I had necessarily no knowledge of and would just kind of surface themselves. And so as I listened to the um, the speaker in that, listening to her talk about microaggressions and even kind of stepping back, questioning herself, those were things that I had found myself having to deal with as well. So I really resonate um, with your response. So as a diversity and inclusion practitioner, Um, I've gone into organizations as well, and it really felt like there was a lot of pushback, specifically at one of the first organizations that I worked for. It was a organization that was really old, very successful, had been successful forever. 
Somehow there was some part of the organization, which I'm assuming is HR, who felt like diversity and inclusion was important. And clearly there was a diversity and inclusion council that was made up of those in the C-suite. But somehow, like when you get into the organization, there are people in the organization who just don't see the value. So what's what's interesting to me is like the disconnect (laughs) between the people Mm -hmm. who say we need this role and then the people who you have to uh, gain the inf- or actually influence every day when you're trying to get the things done that you've been hired to do. Yes. Yeah, and I, yeah. I especially resonate with resistance is often covert, which was kind of like the nuance of what you were saying, right? And I think a mm-hmm. lot of the time you meet a lot of people who say that they're excited and that they're passionate and that they care about this goal, but their actions don't align with what they're saying to you. Absolutely, absolutely. And the other piece is, um, you know, what doesn't align. People don't stop being who they are at work, mm-hmm. regardless to a company's defined, you know, mission about equal employment, about affirmative action, about diversity. That's the company statement. Right. It's not always the the individual statement of each person working there, and so. People don't stop being who they are at work. And so they will sometimes just try to mask what's really in their heart and will sometimes um, attempt to adjust their behavior to make it appear that, yes, I'll, I'll go along with the company line. But, you know, at the same time, they are actively working against um, things that will ultimately make the organization a better, more productive organization. We've been seeing this a bunch publicly play out. When there are people in the organization who are in leadership roles, they go home and then they act a donkey. Yes. And they're doing racist things. Yes. And then Twitter, whoever the powers that be are at Twitter or at Facebook, the people who are like searching online and seeing these things that they're saying and doing are putting them on blast. And there are so many companies that are saying no. You are not about to represent us doing these types of things. And people are actually losing their jobs. Yes, uh, rightfully so. And it reminds me of the number of times where we've seen college students who have been put, uh, you know, kind of on blast for things that they do. And I say, but these are the same college students who are given preferential treatment uh, for hiring, who are ultimately then promoted into positions of influence, become hiring leaders, or become those co-workers of, of the folks who, you know, look different than them. And then when you trace it back, this wasn't something new that they had done. These seeds had been planted and groomed and cultivated when they were 18, 19, 20, And so now they're just acting out in these broader roles and these broader environments, exactly who they are in their heart, who they've always been in their heart. Yeah. And I I think it's so interesting because most everybody that we have on the podcast, right, has experienced something like this. So why is this element of working in corporate spaces so familiar to us as, as women of color? And why do we oblige it? What what would the alternative be? Yeah, so um, 
I use this word other and, and I don't necessarily mean it. I don't mean it in a, in a derogatory way, but um, it's familiar to us because we are viewed as an other. One of the things I've learned as I've evolved as a diversity practitioner is to stop using the word different because different assumes that there is a type of person that has been established as the norm and anyone who's not like that then is is different. And so with that, um, again, I think the word became used early in the practice, but I've, I've really shied away from it. I use the word other is because there is a majority that exists in a lot of environments. And so when we are provided or uh, provided an opportunity that we've deserved and, and earned, we come in and people look at us like you're, you're not like us, you're, you're an other. And we're doing fine. We're producing great products. Our revenue is fine. You know, our customer base is fine. Who are you coming in to disrupt what appears to be working well? Especially for me, when I come into environments that are highly technical, doing things that are globally and universally unique, someone coming in who doesn't just toe the line with that might be seen as uh, might be seen as a threat. And so when we come in and we, you know, have things that we're responsible for, efforts, um, different ideas what we might be suggesting will appear to those to be counterproductive. Why are you trying to alter, mess up, or stop this um, work that is producing, you know, million dollar products, producing billion dollar profits uh, and revenues? And so we take that message and we will sometimes then second guess ourselves. Like, am, am I trying to stop us from creating this airplane, creating this new mechanical device, creating this new pharmaceutical solution. And so we will um, internalize it, knowing that we had good intentions when we first started out, but we'll inter internalize this feedback that we have. And so unless we have people who are allies with us, who are supporting um, our message, you feel like you are being ganged up on by all of these people who don't understand or appreciate their response. And you will, some people will quickly kind of just fall in line with, let me, let me go along to get along. And we won't necessarily find a way to assert ourselves that, yes, I still want us to be a billion dollar organization. I would also like us to, to, to do this and they don't have to be mutually exclusive. Yeah, for sure. Especially that part about being a billion dollar company and it not being mutually exclusive. Because ultimately, we want you as a company to make even more money. Like, yes. there is yes. a possibility, and it's quite likely, that if you are a more inclusive environment, if you aren't creating barriers, if you bring in more perspectives, then you're going to make even more money than you have in the past. And what I also think the difference is sometimes is that when you're thinking about a company that is business to business versus business to mm -hmm. customer, mm -hmm. it's often very difficult to help them see the connection because they don't feel like they're selling to an individual. They're yes. selling to another business. So why is it that I have to go do all of these other things to share with this business? And I think that that's where other corp that's where corporate responsibility comes in with other organizations where other organizations are saying, these are our philosophies and these are our values. And if we're going to purchase things from you, we need to know that you're actually holding these same things true for your organization as well. And I think that's what it's going to take 
for these organizations that are more business to business centric rather than business to customer. Yeah, a couple of things that you said. So um, you talked about, you know, companies outperforming. There's an organization called McKinsey. It's a research organization. They produce a ton of very valuable information. One of the statistics that I recall from a presentation um, that I had prepared a few months ago, I believe the statistic is organizations that are gender diverse um, outperform their industry by 35% relative to revenue. And so when you think about how having people who see life differently and the collective of those alternate perspectives making you more competitive, companies are a lot more likely to embrace the message of diversity. Um, the second piece, you talked about the difference between business to business versus business to consumer. That is huge. And so if I'm Subway and I'm just really kind of catering to the people who come into my store versus I'm a TV show on a network and I rely on corporate sponsors who corporate sponsors then are relying on a customer base. When you think about the times that a, a news person, an anchor person has said something, you know, kind of wholly inappropriate, consumers will will reach out to the network, but they'll also look at that list of sponsors. And now when you look at the ecosystem of where this money is coming from, everybody's trying to hold everybody accountable. And so I think that's an, an important distinction to make. Not everybody possesses, and I don't mean this as a critique, but not everybody possesses the competencies, the kind of intestinal fortitude that it takes to take on resistance, especially when it's coming from multiple people or coming from a specific level in the organization, because you hear, you'll hear people say, well, don't commit career suicide on this issue. Why would my career die if I am suggesting to my organization something that is the right thing to do, something that follows the law, something that makes us more, more competitive? And so sometimes it's just about really having the um, bravado to really speak up and stay the course. And like I said, it's just not how everybody's dispositioned in life to be able to, um, to kind of take on that type of resistance. Yeah, and I think that's a big element of what Navigating the Nonsense talks about, right? Because typically it's a spectrum. So whether or not somebody mm -hmm. has um, whatever you want to call it in order for them to like speak up and in their minds potentially like risk their career or risk their position. Mm -hmm. I think mm -hmm. that a lot of the times we find ourselves kind of navigating different aspects of the workplace that other groups aren't, um, aren't subject to. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> when you said that, I thought about the thing that we often hear, especially if we are very assertive or we do have that bravado around a certain issue is is this the hill that you want to die on? Mm -hmm. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> yes, this is yes. the hill that I want to die on, of course. <laughs> and, and here's what's interesting about that. you That question is asked with the complete understanding that multiple hills will be presented to you for you to die on. So... Do I have to do I have to choose or can I fight? Can I fight multiple battles understanding that this this is a larger, you know, a larger kind of war? So um, it is it is not for the faint of, faint of heart. And I applaud anyone who takes it on. Um, I also want to be in a position to help encourage those who feel like this isn't for me 
at all or this isn't for me right now, that group also deserves support and protection. Yes, 100%. And that really takes us into our next question, which is around actionable steps that Black and Brown women can take to navigate the nonsense. And again, whether it's that group that you're talking about that wants to just keep quiet and do the things they need to do to survive, or whether it's someone who wants to continue to navigate the nonsense in a way where they can thrive in the organization, or like you, they leave. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So a couple things that came to mind for, for me, that things that worked for me, but I will also say things that I've learned from other people as, as I have modeled you know, behaviors of people from afar, people who formerly mentored uh, me. The first piece really is being sure about who you are. Um, You know, as of late, there's been this term about the imposter syndrome. And so being sure about who you are, definitely, you have to be sure-footed in corporate America. You have to know how to navigate. And doing that, you have to be really confident about what your skill set is and what your competencies are that you bring to the table. And there's a certain confidence that comes along with being able to reflect on your past successes as evidence of your capabilities. It's really easy to second guess yourself when you don't have those big or small wins in your past that you can kind of draw upon. Um, And so just being very uh, confident about and centered in who you are so that you can operate in fact versus emotion when you're trying to navigate um, through a particular scenario. Um, The second piece, um, and this is big, is really holding people accountable for working against you. Um, I talked about earlier, you know, people doing things kind of overtly, but covertly. And so someone has you know, kind of put you on blast um, in an email before you hit send to respond, make sure that you are sticking to the facts. And so there's nothing wrong with responding, but make sure you respond with um, intelligence. And I tell people all the time, it's not checkers, it's chess. And so being able to pick apart what someone might have levied at you and be able to tie what what your initiative, what your recommendation is specifically to a company value, a company mission, what we've talked about for goals. So now they're not just attacking you, they're attacking the company. You have to completely recenter that. And so where it might, you might want, might be fearful of pushback, you have to remove that, remove that fear. And so the other piece is being able to be confident enough in your ability to advocate for yourself. You have to be able to speak up for yourself. And so if it's in the moment or kind of those post tense moments, sometimes it's not good to respond in the moment because there might be too much emotion, but in those post kind of tense situation, boil it down, have the emotion, you know, somewhere in a closed space. But when you, you know, kind of retrench, when you go back, make sure you have um, have your facts and you know what your next step is to be able to pivot in the direction that you really want to go. Yes. And when you say like being able to not respond in the moment, and that doesn't mean you can't be in a closed space. You can't talk to somebody that you trust. Please do. There are so many times where I have like, typed out a whole entire email because my fingers are like, listen, I know you did it. Um, And then you just got to delete it and Mm -hmm. just figure out how do I move on from here in a way where I'm 
speaking objectively and not about my feelings. So it's not that you have to keep it pent in and you can't say it. Just don't say it in the moment. Say it to someone you trust and then come back to it later when you can speak in a way that's really going to get your point across and not have the focus on how you may have behaved badly mm-hmm. in the situation. And Crystal, here's the thing I'm going to suggest. I've done this a couple of times in, in some environments with a few peers, because you will type your fingers. You will have reached warp speed typing out a <laughs> response. Find a, a peer, a colleague, a friend, maybe a family member. Call them. Read your response to them so that you can purge yourself of the emotion Because sometimes just typing it still doesn't give you the release that you need. But typing it out, letting that emotion go, also letting someone else who maybe can be a little more objective help you sanitize that message. So it really is the fact that's another step that that I've often used with people so that you really are, when you go back out, you want your head in the game. You don't want to lead with your heart. You want to lead with your head in those tough situations. Yeah, one last thing I'll share is about being able to seek out um, allies. And um, this was really important for me. I worked uh, in an environment where, um, again, a lot of, you know, white male organization and nothing against white men in general. I want to be really specific about about that. There are times, though, in certain environments, the collective of that particular demographic seems really hard to navigate. But one of the things that I found was I had a position open on my team and one of the candidates that we interviewed was uh, an an older white man, man, someone who I knew in certain instances, if I hire him and it wasn't like, let me just hire him because he's why he was a fantastic candidate. What I saw was there were some things that we were trying to do that as soon as I was the messenger, it messenger, it was dead on arrival. But if I could bring this person into my organization, I might be able to leverage his demographic to relate to his peer group to be able to get over the hump for his privilege. So, uh, yes, absolutely. (laughs) And so being able to seek out allies, people who are like us, I think there's a confidence we have um, together as black women, Mm -hmm. um, but also being able to seek out people who are unlike us. So it doesn't always look like here come the black girls again with this message. Here come the minorities again with this message. Who are people who aren't the typical that can stand shoulder to shoulder with you and you show them like, yes, this makes sense. This is well-researched. Here's where I've seen it benefit other organizations. Here's how I see, uh, how I believe that this will help us be more competitive. Having someone who can really um, serve as an ally with you to help be that, um, be that messenger. And, and, and with that, like I said, making sure you can tie it back to why is this good? Why is this good business? Um, how can this help us, especially in those consumer driven uh, industries where you're competing uh, for dollars? You have to be able to tie it back to business. Yeah. And I think a lot of company cultures create this sense of urgency. Yes. Right. So um, I really liked your point number two, which was just pause. I know that it's always going to feel like you need to respond or that you need to react mm-hmm. because of the culture and mm-hmm. the space that you're in, but just pause and reflect and come back to it. And then also just building that support network. I love that you said that because I think sometimes, right, and we talked about this a little bit in Tolu's episode, um, where you're not always sure who you can and cannot mm-hmm. trust in mm-hmm. a space, but doing that work 
is so fruitful. It's so rewarding to dig through all the mud and figure out who you can trust and start to leverage their relationship within the business. And even sometimes, right, it, it can become a friendship, not to say that you can or cannot have friends in corporate America. It's not always so black and white. Also, the pause thing, I have to give credit uh, to Dr. Marcel. (laughs) She's the one who brought that up in our episode around Unspoken Rules. Mm -hmm. So I know that everybody has enjoyed listening to you today. Kim, where can listeners continue to connect with you or find you online? Sure. So a couple places. Uh, I am on LinkedIn under Kimberly Jones. Now, Kimberly is a Kimberly Jones is somewhat of a common name, <laughs> but um, it's Kimberly Jones. You'll, you'll find me under Talent Acquisition Superhero. Okay. That is my my other persona. Uh, you can also find me on both uh, Instagram and quit at Twitter at Kim LeJay. And then my website, uh, my company website is Kelton Legend, K-E-L-T-O-N Legend, KeltonLegend.com. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the We Are Meaningful podcast. Follow us on Instagram at wearemeaningful.co and visit our website to learn more about our community and how you can get involved. We're excited to hear your thoughts on today's episode. Talk to you next week.